Good morning. I want to welcome members and visitors here today. I want to welcome those who are uh, watching us online and listening. My name is Russell Atkins. I am filling in here for Tim Jennings, who I believe is in uh, Branson, Missouri, at the Association for Christian Counselors the annual meeting that they have, and we want to wish them well. Last year, we, we distributed a lot of uh, of our materials and got some significant positive feedback from it. So we want to wish them uh, continued success in that uh, this year. We are studying lesson number three in the new quarterly on James. It's called Enduring Temptation. Uh, let's, let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for a beautiful Sabbath day you've given us. Uh, thank you for the Sabbath in and of itself and, and what it represents and says about your character. I ask that you guide our study this morning. Um, be with those of our group who are not with us. And please continue to bless this class, both corporately and individually, and shape us into the people that uh, can take this final message of mercy, uh, of uh, your character of love to the world, so we can hasten your coming. In Jesus' name, amen. Enduring temptation. Uh, the memory text... For Sabbath's lesson, blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. What, my first question, what does it mean to endure temptation? And, and how does that relate to um, loving the Lord? Any thoughts? What does it mean to endure temptation? To get through it, to come out the other side. You, you know, you uh, struggle through it. I mean, to endure it is to, I look at it as you've struggled through it and you've made it past it. Okay. Um, any other thoughts? What it means to endure a temptation or temptation in general? With the help of the Lord, there's no way to endure temptation without His help. That may be true for some of us. I think that um, the the whole point of the plan of salvation is for Christ to implant his character, to, to pour his character within us, so that when the four angels are no longer holding back the winds of strife, and we are, quote, without an intercessor, there will be a group of people living on the earth who are who are enduring temptation, yet without sin. So he... Christ is Christ is wanting to develop a people and to develop characters in that people that will end, that will endure temptation simply because they have his their character is a um, a perfect uh, representation of his. Let's contrast some of the temptations that we deal with versus what Christ dealt with on earth. Have you guys ever compared and contrasted that? Considered it? I ponder this actually somewhat regularly, but and it. It continues to um, it continues to overwhelm me when I consider about how easily I um, succumb to temptation and how he never did. It, it makes me wonder how hard Satan had to work, and how many subtleties and how many how many um, how many of his minions he had helping him in an effort to get Christ to um, to succumb to temptation. And failed miserably. And yet Christ was combating the same human nature that I have. He had the human nature from his mother, and he had the divine nature from his father. 
I've never been tempted to turn rocks into bread when I was hungry. Have you, any of you ever struggled with that temptation? <laughs> tempted to eat french fries when I'm hungry, but I've never been tempted to turn rocks into bread. I've never been tempted to hurl myself off of a, a building and see if the uh, angels would break my fall. And I've never been tempted to save myself uh, in the face of attempted murder. Spend some time later today thinking about the differences uh, between the temptations that we deal with and the temptations that uh, our Savior dealt with. I think it will open, open your mind. This is from, from Sabbath's lesson. Sometimes it seems that the more we focus on not sinning, the more powerless against temptation we feel, and the more hopeless our condition appears. No wonder if indeed we... We wonder if indeed we are saved at all. It's hard to imagine any serious Christian who hasn't wondered about his or her own salvation, especially after just falling into sin. Where does the focus seem to be in this passage? Us. On self. Exactly. Now, I'm not discounting the, the honesty and validity of the, the passage, but the focus seems to be on me, on us. You know, how, how, what is my salvation where it should be? And I, that's not, I don't believe that's where Christ wants our focus, is it? Uh, any other thoughts about Sabbath lesson? In the text when it says, or when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. What, is it, what does it mean when he is tried? Good question. What do you think it means? Well, it sounds like the judgment, but I thought we're not... Oh, you mean like a trial, like he's tried in a trial. Um, what does it mean then? I can see where you get that. When I read it, when he's tried, I meant I thought it meant when he is challenged, when he is um, when he struggles with temptation and 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 overcomes it, you know, with God's grace, then he he will receive the crown of life. When he's tried by fire, kind of that. Um, it's a trial by fire. It's a it's an experience. It's a, um, a burning away of the impurities. Purification. Yeah, a pure, thank you. That's the word I was looking for. It's a purification, like Malachi says, of you know, the launderer's soap. Um, I will purify the Levites. Yes? There's a lot of analogies that are used in the Scripture, a growing plant into maturity, mm-hmm. um, refining of a, a metal... Um, you know, maturation in various methods of, of reaching something that ours our goal. Right. Our goal is to live like Christ. Mm-hmm. And so these temptations that are permitted to come upon us, we're not to blame God for it, but, you know, when they, are, when they do come, um, therefore our growth, our purification. Right. Any other thoughts? Sunday's lesson. The root of temptation. Um, Dr. Moses just uh, touched on this. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt any, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each of us is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived and gives birth to sin, 
And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. This should be a very familiar passage in this class because we have we have uh, been over it many times. Um, why is it so important to conclude that God cannot be tempted, nor does he tempt? Everything would be unstable if he could be. We really have a solid foundation for any of your beliefs. Okay, if, if, if God could be tempted uh, by sin, then what hope is there? Any other reasons? It goes back to who God is. Right. Is truly God like that? Mm-hmm. You know, that uh, he would torment us? Or yes. Yeah, exactly. There are some Christian doctrines that have him with that uh, kind of two-faced um, character flaw. Any other ideas why it should be important for us not to consider that God tempts or is tempted? When, as a loving parent, do you ever leave the stove on on purpose to see if your child will put his finger on it? Maybe, maybe put a uh, chocolate chip cookie up there heating. You got that warm smell, smell of warm chocolate chip cookies, and hope that the kid will reach up and take the cookie and burn his finger. Anyone do that? Of course not. I mean, how would you or could you? So if we, who are, quote, evil, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more so does our Heavenly Father in Heaven know how to give us good gifts? Also, consider the metaphor used here, uh, the one of conception, birth, and growth, and death. Um, any insights as to what uh, what the author is trying to tell us here? That we're conceived in sin and iniquity. We came into the world with sin. Okay. So it's a battle from the very beginning. Yes, Absolutely. It's not like it's something we choose. I mean, we, we choose to follow through with the temptation, but I mean, we don't choose to be sinful. We were born into sin. That's correct. And if unremedied, what happens? Well, dies. <laughs> exactly. If, if unremedied, we'll have a heavenly judge stamp guilty next to our books in heaven. Right? <laughs> Are we mixing metaphors here? I don't think it's any accident that, that, that James took a, a process that humans know well of conception, birth, growth, death, and made the analogy uh, or, or linked it with uh, you know, temptation and sin. Yeah, he, he doesn't say that, you know, you know each of us is... Uh, drawn away when when we're tempted by our evil desires and that conceives uh, breaking the law and law breaking when met with uh, a police force and a righteous judge brings forth death he's an analogy of, of a cycle of life albeit a sinful cycle of life, because death death was not part of the original uh, design template. Um, Again, from uh, 
from the lesson, Sunday's lesson. Thus the battle against sin begins in the mind. I think that's well said. As much as many may not want to hear it, the truth is that we choose to sin. No one can force us. Sinful desires, inclinations, propensities do constantly capture our attention. By using calming hunting and fishing terms, James 1.14 describes these inward promptings. Our desires lure and entice us, and when we give in to them, they finally hook and entrap us. Um, so no question, the battle, the battle against sin, uh, for humanity anyway, begins in the mind. Is there any other place that battle is occurring? I think mind and heart are synonymous here, but okay. Anywhere else the battle is occurring? Any scriptural support for this? These are not trick questions. <laughs> well, it's a battle with each and every person on earth. Okay. I, I can see that. Um, I, I don't consider myself a battle with any of you, but I could change on the freeway. <laughs> right? <laughs> Come on, think big picture here. Where else is the battle occurring? Job, Daniel, are we ringing any bells here? Minds of heavenly beings, other planets. Okay, she says in the minds of heavenly beings and, and unfallen worlds. Um, I think their minds are made up, but we're on the right track here. Okay, the, the book of Job kind of draws back the veil and gives us a little insight as to what's going on behind the scenes that are in, in the unseen world, in the visible world that there are forces that do not have humanity's best interests at heart. And there are other forces that do have humanity's best interests at heart. And, uh, you know, the, given the, uh, the dream of Daniel, when you know, he prayed you know, for three weeks and was unable to eat or drink anything, and Angel finally came to him and said, I was, I was engaged in battle with the prince of Persia, uh, and finally Michael came and had to help me. So there, and, and the Bible describes um, angels who excel in strength as being dispatched at certain times and for certain situations. Um, Does the battle not belong to the Lord and His beings? It does, it does belong to him, yeah, no question. But there's still a battle going on. Have you ever thought that there may be angels that, that excel in math, and angels that excel in speed, and angels that excel in uh, music, and angels that excel in time travel, along with angels that excel in strength? I mean, it, it, I find it interesting the Bible makes its distinction. And angels that excel in strength were dispatched or called to this, that, or the other. Peggy, in the back, we have someone from online. Fenton has a question. It goes back a little bit with okay. what you said. The speaker made mention of living on this earth without an intercessor. Where does he get his support from the scripture on this? Primarily from Revelations. You know, Revelations tells us that there will, be, there will come a time when the Holy Spirit will eventually be withdrawn from the earth. As the Holy Spirit gets rejected, it will be withdrawn from the earth. And the angels, the four angels who have, quote, give, been given power to harm the earth, 
Think about that. They've been given power to harm the earth. And what is their power to harm the earth? What are they doing? What are they actively doing? They're holding back the four, the winds of strife. So their power to harm the earth is in releasing their restraint. If we had some nut job come in here and, and you know want to attack someone and we physically restrained him, we would we could say we've been given power to harm folks and our, our power be to release the restraint. So the power to harm is in their restraint. When they release their restraint, Satan and his angels will have basically free reign. They will, just like they did with Job. God told Job, he's in your hands, but you may not harm him. So Satan harmed everything around him. Second time said, he's in your hands. Do do anything you want, just don't take his life. Again, Satan revealed his character. I think it, I think it could be said that Job was living without an intercessor because God restrained he removed his hedge of protection from around Job and allowed Satan nearly free reign. And God did this because he knew Job's character. Revelations indicates that there will be a people uh, living on earth at the time of the end with the same character that Job had. They are so settled into the truth about God's character and the difference with Satan's character that they will, they will not be able to be moved. So that that's... I hope that answers your question. Uh, I also take some insight from uh, Ellen White's writings that that she or she clearly says that, that you know that we'll be living quote without an intercessor. Now, I don't believe that. I don't believe that God is going to completely abandon us, but it may feel like that to the group that's living on Earth at the same time at that time. Um, let's see. So the battle battle is not, even, not only being fought in our hearts and minds, the battle against sin, but it's being fought in the unseen world as well. Angels from heaven and angels from hell are engaged in battle. Now, whether this is a physical battle or not, I don't know. Why else would you need angels that excel in strength? Uh, it will be fascinating once we get to heaven to actually... Uh, talk with you know the angels and and see exactly what sort of a battle was being engaged in. Any other thoughts? I, I have a hard time believing that it would be a physical battle because Jesus is all about nonviolence. So I don't know if I'm the only one that struggles with that, but I don't think it would be physical, personally. Okay, that's fair. However, if you encountered someone who did not share your belief system and did believe in violence, and you had the capability to restrain and subdue them to keep them from harming someone else, might you use that? Now, I'm not talking about shooting them, you know, with a gun, but, I mean, to, to actually, if you excelled in strength and were physically able to restrain them from harming your loved ones. I'm okay with restraint. <laughs> I'm all right with that. <laughs> I think you're dead right. Christ's methods are not violent resistance, and he displayed that very clearly in his uh in his life and death and resurrection on earth. Like he even said, My kingdom is not of this earth. If it were, my disciples would free me. Doctor Moses. We speak often of strength in many different ways. We can have strong solutions. We can have strong drink. Mm-hmm. We can have strength of intellect. Yep. 
And when we have strong characters, strong characters speak to God and to the battle that we have as well. The ability to resist evil is a strength. Mm -hmm. Well said. A strength of conviction and a strength of a life. Strength of truth. And and, uh, we don't have to have physical conflict as part of that package. Yes, thank you. Uh, very well said. I think where she's coming from, too, we've, we've always kind of felt that way. You know, in Ephesians 6, it says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Mm-hmm. So it's a spiritual battle. So we have a hard time thinking of it as us fighting each other. Like us fighting each other. Well, yeah, we, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but there are other beings that are not of flesh and blood that, that may physically wrestle. I don't know. I, I don't I don't have any insight. Uh do it. I just the the lesson indicated that our minds was the only place the battle was occurring, and I respectfully disagreed. I think there's another place the battle is occurring, whether it's an idea battle or whether it's a literal um, battle of physical force. I don't know. I don't know. I might take back my comment that I agree with restraint because then that's limiting free will. So, like, I mean, I don't know. Maybe. The text in Revelation, there's some restraint going on there, but it seems like, I don't know. I just don't want to see them being tied up or something so they can't. (laughs) (laughs) Jacob wrestled their free will. Jacob wrestled all night with the angel. Yeah, there was a physical wrestling. Physical thing. They just didn't sit and, you know, talk about their mind. And ended with his hip being dislocated. That's right. So, you know, that was, that's how I picture it to be, more like that. Yeah. Well, Jacob wrestled with the angel, which, you know, is Christ. And you know what? For, for some of us, when we're wrestling with temptation, when we're wrestling with that uh, nature, that sinful nature we have, it's exhausting. I mean, it's physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally exhausting. So, yeah, I, I think these are all great insights. Well, I've often wondered why did Jacob have to wrestle? Why couldn't he just sat there and talk to Back and forth. <laughs> See, why, why do they have to physically wrestle, really? Well, I think I think Jacob's uh, instinct to wrestle was a was a it goes way back to his um, deception of of his father and Esau. Jacob Jacob was afraid. He was fearful. He was he was afraid for himself. Now he had already he had already sent uh, the women and children and the elderly uh, of his camp on across the river, so the the tendency to save self was being eradicated. But he was still afraid, and it went back to his initial deception. He thought it was Esau coming to take his life, and he physically wrestled with him. Mean, he was it was a case of mistaken identity. I I really suspect that if he had he had recognized Christ. Uh, in human form from the get-go, there probably wouldn't have been a physical wrestling. It wasn't until the angel touched his hip and it dislocated that he, he realized, this is not human. And, and he also said, I've seen God and I'm still alive. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. When he started, that was when he finished the right. battle. Mm-hmm. You know. But what, And my thought was, why did Christ feel like he had to wrestle with him all night? To come to that conclusion, that's what I'm. You know, it's like it, it took Jacob that long. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I think that's exactly right. I think I don't think Christ wasn't the problem. Mm-hmm. Jacob was the problem. But Christ could have revealed Himself 
right away if you wanted to. Why did Christ walk all that way to Emmaus? I mean, he could have answered the question at the beginning of the road when they're still in Jerusalem. He could have said, see, I'm here. I'm resurrected, you know. But it took them all that way to reveal something about God's plan. And he took that. To me, the condensation that Christ was willing. I mean, he's got a lot of things to do. (laughs) Yeah. You know? I mean, really, he's got a lot of things to do. And yet he took the time to walk with two people between Jerusalem and Emmaus, several miles, and talked to them all on that way. To me, that's, that's amazing. Why, why did he spend nine months in a womb? I mean, if we're going to go down that road, I mean, why didn't he just appear? Is it God is love? Done. Well, why I mean, did he come uh, back to the very beginning? And so why did he create Satan to begin with? <laughs> <laughs> he didn't create Satan. He created Lucifer. Lucifer became but Satan. Knowing that he was going to do that. He knew that Satan uh, or Lucifer was Yes, he did. Absolute and he created love. him anyway. Absolute love. See, I know it says love, but I still have a hard time with that. I, you know what? I do too. Yeah. And, you know, God bless you for bringing that up. I mean, I look at it as love, and I think, but look at the millions of people that have suffered and died because of his, that love of creating that one creature. You know, it's, it's something I don't think we'll ever get to heaven. He didn't know he was going to choose to do what he did. I think he did. I don't think he did. The alternative would be create a bunch of robots. Right. Right. So that's your choice. Why why don't you think God knew that he would fall? I don't think he did. But I think that it's about more than this world too. Oh absolutely. Because we're just one little drop in the bucket in this whole earth. Correct. Of what's playing out in the whole universe. The comment a few weeks ago really lodged with me. Where we talk about why did God allow? Why does God allow children to die? Why does He allow this suffering? And when you put it in the the analogy that was used was the string to the sun. And if you take twelve inches off or two feet off of that string, that's not the issue. Infinity is what the issue is. God wants us to understand His infinite love, and the only way He could do it, other than letting everything crash and burn would be to let it play out. And some of our strings are cut short. But is that short, 93 million miles minus six inches? Right. This earth is not what matters. The suffering, I still have a hard time with the suffering. But Mm -hmm. I guess that helped me understand a little bit more. There's a higher purpose. Yes, sir. As far as uh, directing the question to what these two were talking about was, that quote in Desire of Ages says that God did not foreordain that sin should exist, but mm-hmm. foresaw the terrible emergency yeah. and made provision for it. I agree. I think God knew that Lucifer would uh, fall. I think he knew that humans would fall. And I think that he, and we, it, Scripture tells us quite clearly that the plan of salvation was conceived before the foundation of the earth was laid. So they, they made a contingency plan for it. It may well be that our our human body was designed not only to function in a sinless world, but also to function in a sinful world. Get your minds around. Think about this. In an efficient human system, the eating of food, every bit of that food will be will be used. Food and drink will be used. There'll be no waste. There'll be no elimination. 
And yet we were given an elimination system, a very intricate elimination system. I already thought did, about that too. So that's provisionary. Maybe. I don't know. Possibly. Maybe. You know, our our immune system. What 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 need would we have for an immune system in a sinless world? Also design many other wonderful things knowing that sin would come. Yeah. If if there never was fall, if if there never was winter, and yet we have gorge we're, we're approaching a gorgeous time of the year. Mm-hmm in which the mountains and the hillsides will be covered with color. And I think that's very condescending and, and loving of God to give us things that we can enjoy in spite of what shouldn't have happened. No, I absolutely. No question about it. Uh, Chip, did you have your hand up? I was going one thing that helps me cope with human suffering is to understand that no one suffered as much as Christ did himself. That's right. Thank you. Again, well said. And it goes back to the the staggering amount of temptation that he endured compared to what we deal with. I, I promise you, Satan pulled out all the stops. Okay, let's, uh, let's see, move on. Talking about, uh, you know, we the truth is that we choose to sin. Again, this is from the lesson. Uh, do, do we actually choose to sin? Does not all the time. Okay. I, I, I agree. I don't think it's that quite that black and white. Um, does, did we choose to be born? Did we choose to be born infected with a, a sinful human nature? That was beyond our choice. Um, does the, um, does a TB patient choose uh, his symptoms, or are you know, night sweats and coughing up blood a result of the infection? Certainly, without the Holy Spirit uh, and a healthy conscience, do we do we have any power to choose not to sin? There's certain things innate in us we do that we don't realize are sinful until we're brought before God's character. Right, exactly. Revealing it to us. Until we compare ourselves with the law, the, the heavenly diagnostic instrument. Right, that's exactly right. And Paul, you know, Paul speaks about he wouldn't have known what covetousness was until he examined himself in comparison with the law. Did I miss another hand? Uh, Peggy. Very interesting comment just came in. Okay. My wife feels that since God is a God of love, that he didn't know that Lucifer would fall since God didn't know evil in the first place. The universe was perfect at the time, so how could sin and evil enter God's mind? Yeah, I know it goes back, but interesting. Yeah, it does. Now, I, again, I, I have to respectfully disagree. I believe that God knew that Lucifer would fall. That doesn't mean it excuses his fall. It doesn't mean that there was any rational explanation or, or um, cause for his fall. You know, scripture tells us that Lucifer was created perfect. He was the first of all creation. Perfect in all of his, perfect and beautiful in all his ways until iniquity was found in him. Iniquity wasn't planted in him like it was us. We were born with iniquity. 
Iniquity was found in him. It was self, self-implanted. Yes. Somebody answered the question, kind of. That brings up the question of God's relationship to time. Maybe he isn't stuck in a one-dimensional fixed velocity experience of time. Well, I don't think he is. I don't think he is confined at all by time. But I don't think he's, he's the I am. He's present everywhere in all times, all places. But I don't think he's confined in knowledge either. I, I think he's there, – there are some – there's some theories that suggest that God's not really all-knowing. He's just such a fantastic mathematician that he can he can examine all the probabilities of all the different uh, choices that are made and predict the predict the future. He doesn't really know it, but he accurately predicts it. Okay, I think that diminishes God. He's omniscient. I think I think he is all-knowing. Absolutely. So if if he is all knowing, how do you get one over on him? Yeah. If he's all knowing, he had to have known that Lucifer would fall. And he made provision for it. And he had to know mankind would fall. And he made provision for it. Well, I think there's some things we're not going to ever get to heaven. We contemplate no, there's lots of things we won't know. That's right. I know the answer to that. Because when you think about sin not even being there, iniquity, where did it come from? If, if there was no iniquity in the universe or in heaven, where did it come from? How, did, how was it found in Lucifer's heart? Where did it come from? Well, that's kind of like, um, I, as I may, cannot grasp something that has no beginning or no ending. Because everything we know in this world has a beginning and end. It's finite. But we know that eternity, we know that God, well, what was there before that God? Well, he was there. Well, what was there before that? I can't grasp that. So I think it's the same concept is we can't grasp where sin came from. You know, this whole question you're saying because um, everything we know in this world is sin. We, we, we have no reference of real comparison that's true. The life of Christ. Right. Yeah, no, these will these will be fantastic questions to ask uh ask our savior. Absolutely. There there's a, a saying that sin isn't sin if it's not seen. And that's Okay. That's kind of an operation that most of us work under. That um I think that comes from a um I think that comes from a legalistic background. I think it comes from a an idea that sins are commodities that can be, you know, stamped or traded or uh, whatever. Uh, when you when you think of sin as a disease process, I mean, is AIDS a disease if it's not seen? I mean, you know, sin is is being out of harmony with God's law of love. So whether it's seen or not, it's still it's still sickness. You know, the, it's the, you know, if a tree falls in the wood, does it make a sound? Sound is relative. It seems as though most, many of us don't think in those terms that, oh, well, God knows about it. Oh, you know, I, absolutely we don't. We're, we're thinking in a much smaller realm. That's correct. Is the well, cop going to get me if I, you know, go through the yellow line? Right. 
you know, is, is exceeding the speed limit about 15 miles an hour. Is it really, is it really speeding if you're not caught? Yeah. Design law would tell you that exceeding by 50, eventually it's going to catch up with you with physical results. It's not just the cop didn't catch me, but I'm putting my life at risk. Yeah, and the laws of the laws of physics don't change. Right. That's right. And if so you, whether if God you, knows it or not, if we think, I mean, only God knows. Well, but He's designed us this way, so we're doing damage anyway. If yep, if you if you hit another vehicle, the laws of momentum are unchanged. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Well, and that certainly again treats sin like an act, and we know it's not the act, the action that's the sin. Yes. Correct. I, that's you know that's the result of the the conception. It's the, it's the growth of it. Um, let's see again from the lesson. Is this, I think this is the bottom. Uh, eh, maybe not the bottom section. Anyway, it says dwell on the idea that sin is always our own choice. After all, if it weren't our choice, how could we be condemned for doing it? How indeed could we be condemned for doing it? So, this word condemned got me uh, thinking, and uh, I did some searching, and then Matthew twelve thirty seven, for by your words, this is, this is our Savior speaking, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. All right? John seven, John three, seventeen through nineteen. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he does not who who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. Listen carefully. What is the what is what is condemnation? The light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. John eight nine through eleven. Then those who this is the the um, the at the end of the story of the woman caught in adultery. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in their midst. When Jesus raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, "Woman, where are those accusers of yours?" Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Romans 8, 1. Therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Do not walk according to the flesh, but who walk according to the Spirit. Last one, Titus 3, 10 through 12. I actually have a few more, but I'm going to read one more. Reject a divisive man. After the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person such a person is warped and sending, being self-condemned. Any thoughts on this uh, idea of condemnation, or more specifically, self-condemnation? Back to the original quote in the lesson. Dwell on the idea that sin is our own choice. After all, if it weren't our choice, how could we be condemned for doing it? That assumes a different kind of law. Yes, it does. It absolutely assumes a uh, imposed law construct. Any other thoughts?
This is, I think this is important. This is important to grasp, folks, because it goes to the heart of why, of why we're meeting in this space right now. This is the heart of why we were asked to leave the church. Yes. Is maybe self condemnation um, the more designer natural law view? Could it be likened a little bit to just diagnosis, to just realization of our condition? Um, and the great need we have. And, and more to the point, further on down the line, the realization that we've rejected the healing remedy. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not necessarily condemnation imposed on us by God, but right. condemnation that we bring upon ourselves. It's the condemnation of our own condition. There, yes. It's, you know, when the, uh, the pneumonia patient is dying, it's the condemnation of the disease. It's not the condemnation of the doctor that's trying to heal him. It may be the condemnation of the patient, self-condemned because they refuse to take the healing remedy. There was an interesting line in the C.S. Lewis book about two groups of people at the end of time. Mm -hmm. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, thy will be done. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Monday's lesson, When Lust Conceives. Um, Again, from the lesson, several Greek words are used in this passage to describe how sin begins, and all of them are connected with giving birth. This is going back to the memory text on on Sabbath. When wrong desire is nurtured, sin is conceived like a baby in a womb. Sin, when it's completely grown, gives birth to death. uh, Referencing James 1.15. The picture is paradoxical. The process is supposed to give life results only in death. Sin, like cancer, takes over and consumes its host. We know this, for we have all been ruined by sin. Our hearts are evil, and we cannot change them. I think this is very well said. Sin, not God's anger or justice, is is our problem. And unremedied, it will lead to permanent death. Um, It's also correct that our our hearts are inherently evil, though, though... no fault of our own. We didn't choose to be born that way. And we alone cannot change them. They have to be changed in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. Um, again, the lesson invites us to consider the fall of mankind in Genesis 3 and, and what went wrong. Any any thoughts as to what um, the steps that uh, along the way? Let's review. Distrust of God. Okay, even that—that's what started it. But let's let's consider even before that. Eve finds herself at the tree, gazing at the fruit, and noting what. It's good. It was pleasing to the eye. Okay, right. And then, what happened? Serpent spoke to her. It's fascinating that if you read, I think it's Patriarchs and Prophets, um, it speaks of Satan not wanting to leave this task of, of tempting humanity to his minions. He decided to do this job himself because he didn't want, he wanted it done right. 
So he didn't leave the task to his generals or, or lieutenants. He took it. He did the job himself. And again, consider the subtlety of the first question. What was the first, what was the question he asked her? Did God say you may not eat of every tree in the, of the fruit of every tree in the garden? We often think that we often think that he said, "Did God not? Did God say you can't eat of this fruit?" It's not what he said. He said, "Did God say you may not eat of any tree of the fruit of the, of the fruit of any tree of the tree in the garden?" And what did Eve do? She corrected him. Okay, the, the question alone should have been a huge red flag. She should have known right then. This is the enemy that uh, I was told about. This is the enemy the angels told me about. It's the first talking snake I've run into. Well, see, I've always heard her first mistake was leaving Adam's side. Yeah, I, I don't know that I want to get. I don't know that I want to get into that because. Well, I mean, is that not quite? That's that's from that's from inspired record, or what I believe to be inspired record, that she left his side. When you read scripture, she gave some to her husband who was with her. Was he with her at the time of the initial temptation, or was he with her when she gave him the fruit? I don't know. And it's not, yeah, I. Well, my thought. I don't know. You know, how ridiculous. Does she have to stay by his side constantly 24-7? I mean, that's kind of absurd. Well, that's where she was created from. She was created from his side. So, so that's where she's meant to be. No. I'm joking. There has to be some different meaning to that is what I'm getting at. Yeah. Than just that she left his side. Well, again, I think in Patriarchs and Prophets, um, it talks about the fact that, um, that um, the angels talked, you know, not only did Adam and Eve continue to talk to God, have, you know, meetings with him in the evening, but the angels were sent to them and talked to them about what had been happening in heaven, mm-hmm. about the fact that Satan was going to try to attack them, and that they, there was, there was strength in them being together, that, you know, that they were not ignorant of the fact that Satan was going to try to, you know, interfere, intervene, and that there was strength in them being together to face him. I, um, yeah, I, I think you're right. Versus the fact that, oh, you know, you better stay right. Mm-hmm. Well, and maybe the question is, had it happened in reverse, uh, would it have been said the same, that he left her side, the strength in numbers, uh, mm-hmm. so would it have been the same if it had been flipped around mm-hmm. and also, that brings me to what you're saying, is it, I mean, they didn't need to live in fear in the garden. Oh, no, we got to be right with each other all the time because he's somewhere, you know. Yeah, I, don't, I don't think, honestly, I don't think they did live in fear. I think they, you know, obviously they were communing face-to-face with God, face-to-face with the angels. I don't think there was any fear involved. I, I think, think it, was, it was more of a knowledge. Wisdom. Wisdom. Better Wisdom word. To, better word, yeah. to realize that there was a power at work that was yeah. against them. Yeah. And let's face it, it'd be pretty hard to walk away from a talking snake. Yeah. I mean, when you think of it, really, how many I, other animals talk to them like that? I, I agree. Let's, um, I, a couple of things I want to get to in Tuesday and Wednesday's lesson. So we need to, 
in the node side, there's a there's a, again a breakdown of how this this cascade went. Um, Tuesday's lesson at the bottom section it is talking about all good gifts. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of Lights, and with whom there's no variable, neither neither shadow of turning. The bottom, the lesson asks us, uh, you know, what are the gifts that you have been given, quote, from above? Uh, does anyone want to mention a few? I, I think this is something we don't do enough, um, you know, not only in this class, but not in our in our lives and our families and et cetera, et cetera. We, we fail to, to publicly mention some of the, the gifts that God has blessed us with. And if there's anyone here that wants to do that today, here's your chance. Freedom, freedom to choose him. I, amen. I, I think that is fantastic. Very well, absolutely. Can yeah, consider the gift of freedom of choice, and what it says about our Creator. I think that's that's a great one. Thank you. Despite the sin that we have in the world, there's so much beauty. I mean, every day, I, and I think you know, he didn't have to make it that way. He could have let sin take over and everything be ugly till we get to heaven. But the earth is beautiful. Yes, it is. It's it's a it's a mere shadow of the what it was it created. But you're right; it is still it is still a a beautiful place. We should give him blessing every day for his blessings to us. All he wants is our praise. I think all he wants is our healing, and our praise is a part of that healing. Okay, we many of us are healthy, and and I think above and beyond that. He has blessed us with um, an incredible amount of information on the, his laws, the laws of health, and, and the, the way that he constructed the human body to operate. And, and it's no secret that our, our improving lifespan, our, our longevity, is, is you know, getting slowly longer you know, from what it was. I think in 1900, the average... Uh, Average age of a white male was was forty nine. Or excuse me, the average lifespan of a white ma- of a, a male was forty nine years old. Now it's uh, you know what seventy three four. Um, in just one hundred and fifteen years, we have come, we've taken staggering leaps and bounds uh, in our knowledge of the laws of health. Also, the gift of salvation of the promise of heaven. I mean, amen. That one's probably at the top of the list. Mm-hmm. Our understanding of natural law, uh, the law of love, the law of liberty, the law of um, the natural laws, the laws of health, the laws of worship, the laws of giving. Any other gifts want to be mentioned? But the law. What about the the gift of Community, the gift of uh, friendship, the gifts of of uh, family, the gifts of relationship. Wednesday's lesson, entitled "Slow to Speak." My wife wishes I had that. Yeah, <laughs> I got, I got, lo- I got lots of uh, lots of acquaintances wish I had that no, too. Think that about me. <laughs> <laughs> Do you? <laughs> Better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak out loud and remove all doubt. <laughs> this is attributed uh, to Abraham Lincoln. 
I think it is probably taken from a Proverbs. Uh, Even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise. And he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. Proverbs 7.28 So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak. Slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I think it's I think it's nice that the the scripture differentiates the wrath of man. Is the wrath of man similar to the wrath of God? I don't think so. Um, there was an interesting interesting quote I found. Uh, Dan Rather interviewed Mother Teresa years and decades ago for sixty minutes. And he asked her what uh, what she said during her prayers to God. And her response was, oh, I just listen. So being the investigative reporter, he says, oh, well, okay, well, what does God say? Her response was, he just listens. How, how many of us prefer to be with someone who just listens as opposed to someone who talks incessantly? Oh, there's a fine line. <laughs> Is there? Yeah. Have you ever been around people that never have anything to say about anything? Would that not be boring? I mean, there's a difference between listening sometimes. I'm okay with it. Well, see, I'm not. <laughs> I want to hear. I love it when the class discusses things. We hear people's opinions. I do too. Yeah. How would you like to teach? Nobody said anything. We all just. Touche. Exactly. <laughs> well said. It's, it's nice to hear other people's opinions and how they feel about things. It is. In fact, I prefer listening to you guys than, than talking. All right, you're right. There is, there, is a, there is an appropriate balance. It's a fine line. Um, all right, we've got to wrap up here. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, the insights that you've given us today. The gift of, the gift of your law, the gift of salvation. We ask uh, your guidance and help in uh, opening the door to our hearts and to allow Christ to write his character in them so that we can be ready to meet you when you come again. In Jesus' name, amen.